0: Good evening everybody. If if we haven't met, my name's Claire and um, I am am ordained. I'm not on the staff here. Uh, I'm one of the few who aren't, but um, I am around and about and it's a pleasure to come this evening and to open scripture together, to learn together and to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his voice. What a wonderful thing that is. What a great opportunity. Um, Classically, it's Father's Day, so um, I'm going to read us a story about the good Father, and um, this is a story that Jesus told. What I'd like you to do is um, just be comfortable where you are, and you might like to close your eyes, you might not, that's fine, but I'd like you to imagine yourself in the story as I read it. Unusually, I'm going to read it twice to you, so you get two goes at this. So if the first time you're just kind of taking the story in, that's all right, you'll get another go. But um, what I'd like you to do is, as you imagine, picture the scene of this story. It may be that you find yourself identifying with one of the characters, and so you might want to sit almost in that character's place and hear what happens and what is said in the story and what that character says. Um, You may observe the scene. And what I'd like you to just do is notice what you notice. That's all I want you to do. Just notice what you notice. I'm going to pray, and then I'll read this story. We're going to read it two times through. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, This is your word that points us to the word, who is Jesus. So would you speak through these words, through this story? Holy Spirit, would you speak from your heart to our hearts, that we may receive from you a beautiful gift this evening? Amen. Jesus told this story there was a man who had two sons the younger one said to his father father give me my share of the estate so he divided his property between them not long after that the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living after he had spent everything there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so as we hear this story again, Lord Jesus, would you speak to us again? Would you affirm what it is that you're helping us to notice? There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, There was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. All these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I wonder what you noticed. I wonder what you notice here in that story. Anybody want to share? Maybe one word, two words, short sentence. What do you notice? Yeah? Yeah, the older brother didn't welcome or celebrate in the way the father was. Interesting, isn't it, that? What else do we notice? Thank you. Yeah, Bobby. Can I give you a microphone? Because I'm struggling to hear you. Sorry. Thank you. Thanks, Claire. Thanks, Claire. Um, He came to his senses. So so the younger brother, Uh the line, he came to his senses. So it's almost whilst he was out in the world, he was someone he was not, and so actually mm. he found himself again. I love that, yeah, he came to his senses. It made sense to go home and it? it was a logical sense, if not anything else. great. What else are we noticing? I just wanted to say it reminded me of the parable of the lost sheep where the the sheep, one sheep was lost and found, and when the good shepherd came to um, uh, sometimes called the parable of the um, the good shepherd. When the good shepherd mm-hmm. came to find it, they, he had a feast to celebrate. Yes. Yes. And that story and this star- story are part of three stories that Jesus tells together that are, again, telling us something about the nature of the Father heart of God. And I love that you picked up there on that there's a celebration in that story too, isn't there? Yes. Love it. The thing I noticed was that in... Which, which I heard many times before but need not really taken in, is the father went out. He went out to the younger son um, to welcome him back and then he went out to the older son to yeah. say, come on, come on you know, uh, we want, you've got to come and celebrate with us. Yes, I love that. Thank you. The father goes out in both cases, doesn't he? Thank you. Beautiful thing to notice. Anything else? I love the utter generosity of the father Um, when the son asked for his inheritance early he didn't hold back he let him take it away he let him squander it but when he came back penniless he welcomed him with his whole heart Mm. such a beautiful image isn't it of um Yeah, the generosity, not just financial generosity, is it? It's a generosity of heart, because I'm sure as he gave him the money, he also sort of gave a piece of his heart to say, you know, I'm trusting you here. And then, of course, he's not trustworthy, is he? He squanders it all. There's a a vulnerability there, isn't there, that the father demonstrates. and That's really generous. Yeah, I love that. Great. Any more? Early. Claire, you're keen. Go for it. Um, I was just thinking the son, the older son, when he says, you know, I've done all this for you and you've done nothing for me, i like, what meals or what like time has he had with his father? And has he had any time with his father?
1: Mm. Because it,
0: it feels very much, well, I've done this for you, so why aren't you doing something for me? Well, I don't know what their relationship is like. Mm. Um, and I know that probably the the father would want a proper relationship, but I don't know... What, if the if the son has ever just had a, a meal or had time with his father, because it feels very transactional rather than relational. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. He uses that really interesting turn of phrase, doesn't he? He says, "I've slaved away for you." It's a really interesting thing to say, isn't it? "I've slaved away for you," um, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Like they're the two things that he's kind of get offering is his plea, isn't he? Matt, are you, did you have a... There's one here. One, yeah, go for it. Let's make this the last one. Brilliant. The Father reminds me of God. Yes. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here, isn't he? One of the things that I love about the way that Jesus tells stories is that is exactly that, is that he's saying, if you want to know about God, let me tell you stories a bit like this. And what that does is Jesus invites us into the stories that he's telling. That's why we've done the reading like this today. And we notice all the different things that each of us notice here adds to something of understanding, seeing, encountering, experiencing something of who God is as Father. Um, one of the things that I notice, uh, there's so many things. We could preach 100 sermons on this couldn't we? I won't. I, I promise. I'll just do one today. But here's what I notice. I notice that both the sons are grasping at a contract style agreement. Have you noticed that? So sometimes a contract is a really useful thing isn't it? So I have a contract with a mobile phone company and um In this contract, I pay a certain amount of uh, money every month. And they make sure that my mobile phone works and that I have unlimited calls and texts and a certain amount of internet data that I can use. That is our contractual agreement. What that means is that if I miss on my half of the contract and I don't pay my money, then they are at liberty to stop my mobile phone from working and close that account down if I break my end of the contract. However, if they break their end of the contract and my phone doesn't work one month, if I've paid my bill, I have every right to go to them and say, uh, excuse me, I've paid my money, my mobile phone isn't working, this is your problem, you need to go and sort it out. That's a contractual agreement uh, and there, is t- there are terms of agreement and it's a really useful thing because it means that um, they get their money and I get my mobile phone reliably working is the hope, isn't it? This parable is not about contracts, though. Our relationships with each other, are, in a personal way, are never designed to be contractual. Sometimes we can treat them contractually, can't we? If we're in uh, if any form of relationship, um, I've got uh, daughters, I may say to them, you know, if you do the dishwasher, I will make sure your tea's cooked. If you don't do the dishwasher, I'm not going to cook your tea. That would be a contractual agreement, but if our whole relationship is built on that, it's a pretty unhealthy relationship, would you agree? Actually, I really like making her tea because I want her to be strong and healthy. I want her not to be hungry. So of course I'm going to make her dinner. Yeah, because it's not actually about contracting. We can do it in other kinds of relationships too. If we're in an exclusive relationship with another person, we can kind of contract there too sometimes. If you do this, I'll do that. And it just reduces our relationships. It puts us in quite an unhealthy place. And this is what the sons are sort of trying to do, I think, with the father, is that um, they're saying, let's have a contract-type relationship. Uh, The first son really should have been stoned when he asked for all the money from his dad. Under the law, that's really what should have been happened. So already, he's kind of on borrowed time because the father has generously given the money and said, okay, off you go, and released him to go and and live his life. There's, that's That already is like a crazy amount of generosity on the father's part. And so for the son, who it made sense to him to go uh, back and become a servant, and he practises his speech, doesn't he? And he says, uh, there's three things he says he's gonna do. Um, Uh, I've sinned against the gods, I've sinned against you, I'm no longer worthy to be your son, um, and then will you make me your hired servant? When he comes back and he starts his speech, do you notice he doesn't get to the end of his speech before the father interrupts and says, quick, let's celebrate. The son is trying to make a deal with his daddy saying, look, I know I'm not really qualified to be your son anymore, But will you hire me as your servant? I'll come and do some work for you. And in return, you can give me bed and board. It's effectively what he's saying. And the father is like, whatever. This is my son. Let's celebrate. He's home. He was dead and now he's alive again. The father's got no time for contracts. The second son does the same thing. He's, he's sort of saying, look, I have fulfilled my end of the deal. I'm the one who stayed here. I've slaved away for you. I've obeyed everything that you've said for me to do. Uh, and now, and you've never even given me a goat to go and celebrate with my friends. And again, the father kind of brushes over that to say, oh, it's never been about that. You have always been my son. I have always been with you, and everything that I have has always been yours. You already had it. The goat was already yours. What are you doing sitting around wishing that I'd give you a goat for? It's yours. If it's mine, it's yours. You already had it all. But the second son had missed it as well. And so when we speak about having a relationship with God... This is the kind of relationship that the Bible points us to, to say if you want a relationship with God, it looks like this. It doesn't look like bargaining and contracting and making deals with God. The kind of relationship that we, we have with God is this fatherly relationship that uh, in, in which God is the father and we are his beloved children We're not his hired servants. We're not his slaves. We are his beloved children. And this kind of relationship is marked by love, by vulnerability, and by celebration. There's love, there's vulnerability, and there's celebration. And those things are built with forgiveness, with reconciliation, and with healing. I wonder sometimes if we try to contract because it's a bit of a safeguarding thing, a safe, health and safety. Yeah, if I had two puppets, maybe this is what they would say. But there's a a safety isn't there in contracting because um, okay, I'm gonna trust you to do this thing but my safeguard is I've done my half of the deal, I'm gonna hold you to account that you then have to do your uphold your half of the deal and when we contract in our relationships it means that we hold each other actually a little bit at arm's length if you do this for me i'll do that for you but that isn't really giving ourselves fully to another person in love it reduces our vulnerability, because we've kind of made an agreement, a pre-arrangement to say, this is what's gonna happen. And that's about trying to control things. And when we try and control things, what we're trying to do is avoid being vulnerable with another person. And then even in that contract, if you know all goes well and um, you know we, we both follow through on our end of the agreement, there's no celebration because actually all we've done is fulfilled our duty and obligation. So do you see how this contract actually reduces the joy of the relationship of father to son, of father God to us? And so in this story, God is Jesus is teaching us. The fatherly way of love that comes through vulnerability and through celebration. The first time that I started to learn this quite deeply um, was in my young adult life. A few years previous to that, um, my own dad actually had died and it was quite um, a messy situation. So I know something about Father's Day being... You know, not necessarily a day that you have a great opportunity to celebrate um, and a kind of birth father being part of your whole life and all of that. So I get that. Um, But um, the thing that was going on actually in my life was that I wanted to be in control of the future. That was like. My kind of funny little quirk. And so I would, if anything happened that was a bit out of my plan, I would then rewrite a three-year plan. <laughs> How ridiculous is that? So uh, I, we, my husband and I, we um, had the joyful surprise of falling pregnant with our first child. It was not in my plan and my response the way i dealt with this is because this was a big surprise i then wrote a five-year plan and and in my five-year plan was like this is this is when i'm gonna have my career this is when i'm gonna have my second child and here's what's gonna happen and i and so long as i had my plan i felt like i was safe and um and a friend of mine sort of pointed out that this isn't what everybody does (laughs) i was like oh isn't it and um and so uh, I, she was sort of, we were doing some prayer ministry stuff at the time and, um, and so I, I went for prayer ministry and um, she asked me some questions and then she said to me, have you got a fear of being abandoned? And it was like, God just went, that's it. And this, this fear was like, oh my gosh. And I burst, of course I burst into tears because I cry at everything, but I particularly burst into tears at that moment. And what followed was this um, incredible time of um, realization that yes, I did have a fear of being abandoned because uh, you know, the, one of the people that you is supposed to be in your life forever had abandoned me, was not there anymore. And what had followed was chaos. So of course I had a fear of abandonment, of course I did. And, um, and, but what, what followed then was this incredible time of um, prayer in which the Holy Spirit showed me the, the most vivid memory that I had, in which I had felt abandoned. And as I asked God to show me, where are you in this moment? What I saw was that in that moment where I felt that everybody had abandoned me, that Jesus actually was sat next to me, that he was with me. And what, what that did was rewrote that memory, that it was no longer about in that moment I was abandoned. Nobody was there for me, is how I felt. But rather, even in that moment, God never leaves us. The Father never abandons us. And what a joyful thing that was. And it shifted me. It shifted me in such a significant way that fear of abandonment no longer had a place because I'd seen something true. And the truth was, God never abandons us. God never leaves us. It's a a story of being reconciled with Jesus. Where are you, God, in this moment? There was forgiveness, of course, that needed to follow. There were people I needed to forgive. And there's healing that comes through that. But joy always comes in the morning. And joy comes from a healed heart that knows how to trust the Father. I wonder if the things that often keep us tied up, that hold us back from each other, hold us back from God, that hold us back from being vulnerable with one another, Often are rooted in fear. It might not be fear of abandonment for you, but it might be a fear of not having enough, or a fear of uh, being out of control, a fear of being rejected, a fear of not being good enough. The list goes on, doesn't it? Fear can stop us from turning back to the Father because it is a vulnerable thing to come to God in our honesty. Sometimes when I've, this is like a confession from the pulpit tonight for me, isn't it? Sometimes when I've not read my Bible for a few days or sometimes, honestly, a few weeks, I can feel a bit like I don't want to come back to God because I think he might tell me off. And so so then, you know, that's when a few days might turn into a week or more because actually then I'm like avoiding God because I don't want to get told off by God. Well, that's a lie because, as in... The, the thought of being told off by God, that's not true, because actually in my experience, whenever I go back to God and go, here I am again, God, I have got so busy, and I'm so sorry, but here I am, what I find is that same voice of God that says, here's my daughter who I love, let's celebrate, you're back, you're home. He celebrates our return. He reminds me, he reminds us that we are his beloved children. He doesn't sit and wait for us to mess up to then tell us off. But he celebrates our returning to him whenever, however that happens, how often that happens. There's always a celebration when we return to the Father. And I think that we need to regularly hear these healing words of his love and his celebration and of his gladness of us and of us being with him. Because this isn't like the reward for being really good, because that puts us back into contract, right? I've got to do this stuff and then I'll hear God's voice say, well done, I love you, welcome home. That's the wrong way around but rather as we come to him, as we hear him say, you're home, I'm so glad, let's celebrate, I love you. That is the road of our healing. It's in hearing those words that our hearts begin to hear, that fear begins to dissipate, that we realize that vulnerability with God is the safest place to be because we can trust him. And um, I wonder if we step into that space, if we hear that joyful voice of God the Father over us, I wonder how we may shift from, oh, I should do this, or I ought to do that, or "Oh, I probably should maybe do this thing, because you know I'm a Christian. Um, I wonder how we would shift into, oh, hey, I could do this. I get, I get to worship Jesus. I get to read about him in the word. I get to discover him. I get to know him. And there's that, that posture of celebration and joy begins to rise up in us too. And as we do that, we too learn to be fathers and mothers. And we don't um, need to fear or worry. We don't need to be in control. We get to live in this space of love and vulnerability and celebration. And it teaches us that we can just rest in God. We can just rest in his presence and receive from him. We don't have to do stuff. We can just receive from him, and we're gonna do that now. If um, Aled and the band can come up. I've actually asked Aled, um if he wouldn't mind just Holding some space with some music for us to sit and just receive from God. We can be quick to jump even into, now I'm going to sing my praise to you, God. But let's just take this moment, this few minutes, and it may feel a bit longer than you're comfortable with, and that's okay too. But just to sit and receive again from the Father. Hear again those words over you this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, she's come home, he's come home, put a ring on her finger, put shoes on his feet, kill the fattened calf because we are going to have the biggest party to celebrate that my child has come home.